This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Gadigal Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, it's David James Young here for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for checking this out. Really, really appreciate it. It's great to be back. Honestly, uh, it's been a busy few weeks. I've been uh, getting a bunch of stuff done for the podcast and uh, I've got some really, really great stuff coming up. But I uh, wanted to share this one with you. I uh, <laughs> I appear to have been pipped at the post uh, for this guest uh, from uh, my good, good mate Aaron Osborne, who uh, literally just yesterday, maybe the day before put up his own podcast with this particular gentleman. I recorded this a few weeks back while he was in town with Outright playing guitar for them. That's a thing that he does now. <laughs> We're talking about Lincoln Lefevre. Lincoln Lefevre is an Australian singer-songwriter, originally from Tasmania, Hobart specifically, now based in Melbourne. He and his band, Lincoln Lefevre and the Outsiders, have just released their third studio album, it's entitled Come Undone. It's out now via Poison City Records, and it is an absolute corker. It is a fantastic record. Lincoln is uh, someone that I've known for about five years, and uh, in that time has become someone I count as a really, really good friend, and someone that I love and I trust, and uh, has been a massive, massive inspiration to me. Uh, as a songwriter and, yeah, someone that I genuinely really, really look up to. So uh, I'm glad that we were finally able to uh, get this out and uh, have a little chat. I say little, it's actually one of the longest ones I've done in quite some time. Uh, We get pretty extensive and uh, Link is uh, pretty honest about everything and uh, it's it's really cool to kind of go through his entire uh, career and talk about all the stuff that he's done and, and be pretty forthright and pretty honest about it uh yeah link is yeah an absolutely no bullshit guy so it's not surprising to me whatsoever but uh yeah an absolute absolute honor to uh get to do this and uh really really appreciate lincoln taking the time to do it so uh yeah if you haven't checked it out already, the album again is Come Undone, Lincoln Lefevre and the Insiders, Poison City Records. You know the deal, absolutely worth checking out. And uh, they'll be playing a bunch of shows later on this year. So uh, if you have not had the pleasure of seeing the band live, then I highly, highly recommend it. Not going to keep you too much longer, of course, but just a quick reminder, this is a fan and listener-supported podcast. If you would like to help us out in any way, shape, or form, you can do that by rating and reviewing and subscribing on iTunes, or you can subscribe however you get podcasts through whatever app you might use. It's all very, very appreciated, 
if you have an episode and you know a friend is a fan of that artist and maybe doesn't know about the podcast, let them know. Tell them about what we're doing over here. Uh, any and all support, word of mouth, online, wherever it is, really, really, really appreciated. So uh, if you can get behind in that way, then that is fantastic. Uh, so that's just a couple of the non-monetary ways, but if you do happen to have a couple of bucks lying around and you would like to give back to the podcast, you can do so by supporting us on Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a subscription service of sorts, I guess, and uh, it's basically a, a tip jar, and for as little as $1 a month, you can help to support this podcast and uh keep it up and running and keep it online and stuff like that, which is really, really helpful and really, really appreciated because, yes, of course, it is not free. There's a lot that goes into keeping this podcast up online and running every month, and I really appreciate all the support that we get. So, massive thanks to all of the loyal patrons that make this podcast possible. If you would like to be one of them, then you can head over to patreon.com slash barbands. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash b-a-r-b-a-n-d-s. Failing that, if you would just like to make a one-off donation, maybe you can't keep giving on a monthly basis, that's completely fine. If you just want to do a one-off, then uh, go over to paypal.me slash djywrites. So that's p-a-y-p-a-l dot m-e slash D-J-Y-W-R-I-T-E-S and put bar bands in the description and that money will go directly to me and I will be able to funnel that directly back into the podcast itself. Again, thank you so, so much for all of your support. Thank you so much for listening. Really, really keen to share this episode with you. So let's get right into it. Here's a chat with Lincoln LeFevre. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Lincoln LeFever. Hello. How are you, buddy? I'm good. This is a, an interesting environment. I always pictured you sitting, you know, in a in a room somewhere, or, you know, we're in a park, there's tennis going on. Yeah. Is... Believe it or not, this is actually the third podcast I've recorded here. Really? Yeah. Previous guest, Seahorse Divorce from Brisbane, played a show at the Rattler in July 2015, and we hung out in the park afterwards. And uh, literally a few months ago, uh, Tim and Eric star David Lieberhart was in this very spot. Wow. That was one of the weirdest fucking interviews I've ever done, but uh, also one of the best. He, like, came from the bathroom over yonder, uh, sat down and started talking. And I realised, oh, this is going to be it. I am not going to be able to format this whatsoever. He's just not going to stop talking. I'm going to press record and let the magic happen. And that's it. And that's it. Amazing. <laughs> that ended up being one of our best, actually. Did you have uh, the planes going overhead? Always. Um, oh, bless These are my favourites. These are my favourites. This reminds me of Wayne's World. <laughs> Kiss your mother with that mouth. <laughs> what a lovely afternoon. Ah, oh, it's pretty bloody beautiful. So, Lincoln, this is 
your fifth weekend out in a row, isn't it? Like, you have not been home any weekends the last while or so. I haven't had a day just sitting at my house for yeah, five or six weeks. Jesus shit. You want to explain the uh, the situation you found yourself in? Well, okay, so when the first single from the record came out we did a little tour mm-hmm. and we played in Newcastle at yes. the Lassa Gary which yes. I, I love playing it it's, it's just a great great place it has such a homely feel for mm-hmm. me and look I had a few soda waters and I decided it would be a really good idea to do my couch residency there because they have a really nice beer garden that's set up for it and they've got nice couches so mm-hmm. like the, the the environment's great for it so I was like shit yeah let's do it mm. And Emma, the booker, said, shit, yeah, let's do it. All right, all right, let's do it. We're doing it. And um, so we did it. How'd it go? Um, look, it was it was okay. Um, <laughs> it, was, like, it was a lot of fun. The shows, yeah. the shows I think, were really good. Um, but I don't know if Sunday afternoons in Newcastle are something that happens. I, mm. think, um, I think everyone does Friday, Saturday night. Mm. I think Sunday is just a home a home day. Um, also, nobody knows who I am, so <laughs> you know that that's probably a more a bigger factor. But look, it was still fun, um, and the guests were great. Like, I don't know, have you you haven't seen one of the couch shows, have you? I haven't had a chance, no. So I've done it. I mean, I did it in Hobart years ago with mm. with an old friend of mine, uh, and then I've done it two residencies in Melbourne over the last couple of years. And the, the whole concept is we just set up a lounge room on stage with a couch and a coffee table and some pot plants and yeah. a cup of tea and and a lot of whiskey. And I have a, a guest, usually two guests in the show, but, you know, an hour, an hour each. Mm-hmm. And the, the two of us will just sit on the couch and we'll just talk shit and then play songs together. And that's it. It's very casual and intimate. And when it works, it's great. So I thought that I'd bring it up to Newcastle. So the guests were great. I had a pinch hitter on the couch and RMC, um, Jamie Hay and Jen Buxton. Yep. Another week. All previous guests, all lifetime friends of the show. Yeah. Yep. Best best crew out. Could not um, so much more than that. Spencer. Yep. Previous guest. Amy V. Not a previous guest. No. Um, I was supposed to play with Cookie Baker on the last show, but she she got crook and couldn't make it up. Ah, oh, bugger. And Jason Lowe, who was just the most gorgeous human and I just want to be his friend now Oh, bless yeah oh, well I, I reckon you, you're well on your way then if you've already done a little rock and roll show together yeah yeah to start so the shows themselves were, were really nice they're really good oh um, perfect speaking of rock and roll you're here on a very very different business to to the normal Lick and Lefevre expeditions you found yourself in a situation where people literally had to ask if it was a joke. Uh, <laughs> Which, you know, that surprised me. I, I didn't expect... I don't know, I didn't expect it to be so surprising for people. <laughs> Look, we, we know you've had a past in, in, you know, melodic punk and that sort of stuff, but, uh, you know, playing in a hardcore band, it seemed very, very out of, out of character. I guess so. Look, I didn't grow up listening to punk and hardcore. Yeah. Like, I listened to metal when I was in high school, but... I, I came to punk rock much later. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever told you the story about how it happened, but Here I, we go. I started making records yeah. at, uh, in Hobart like maybe 10 or 15 years ago now. Right, yeah. And the first the first band that asked if I would produce a record was a band called The Scandal. 
Oh, sure, yeah. Now, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the scandal, but they should be because they are my favourite band. Ever? Yeah. Wow. So when I was recording, or even leading up to it, you know, they were just feeding me records. Yeah, know, right. These are these arms, are, these arms are snake records. Um, oh, yeah, this is what the, this is what we want the rooms to sound like. And you know, here's a, another record, some Thursday. This is what we want the guitars to sound like. And and they were just slinging me records left, right, and center. Yeah. And I was listening to them, going, "This is good. I like this." <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the the White Brothers, Nick and Liam, became my my source for new music for a oh, long time. Oh, awesome! Liam, another uh, friend of the show, previous guest. Excellent. Had him on with Jamie. That was a that was a hell of a show. That is a good pair. <laughs> so, it wasn't long after that that I joined Ride the Tiger. Yeah, with, yeah. With Nick and some other buddies. And so, I mean, that wasn't hardcore. That was just you know thrashy fun punk. Yeah. Um, but it's not that much of a leap going from Ride the Tiger to Outright, really. It's just you know, Ride the Tiger was a bit more melodic. Mm. Has it been going so far? good yeah yeah like we're just starting to write new songs for um for another album uh which always you know it takes a while to find your feet yeah um when you join a band and you and you you know you join with the intention of being part of the songwriting team like yeah that's a different dynamic than just to just playing obviously yeah big time but it's it's actually going really well it's going really well we've got a few a few songs in the Perfect. in the can already fucking a yeah Excellent, that's exciting. You know, I haven't got I haven't got Brad Fulton's punk chops <laughs> or um or Alan Stacey's chops. But that's alright. <laughs> I've got I've got me. You got you. That's all <laughs> that's, that's all, all you need, mate. That's all I can do. <laughs> so it's just as well. Lincoln, do you remember the first time that we met? Um, yes. We were we got off the no, I might be wrong. You might have a different memory. My first recollection is getting off the train at Footscray Station. Footscray Station, the very same. And walking to the Rev. The nearest place to Footscray Station, the very that, same. I think that might have been the first time I ever went to the Rev as well. No shit. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, this was Poison City Weekend of 2012. My yeah. first weekender. Was it your first weekender? It was, that one. Yeah. That was a, a little unknown band called the Smith Street Band with a headlining act on Sunday night. That's right. Uh, you played. Uh, and Christ, who else played that day? I can't even remember. Rival Schools were the headliner. Death and the Family played their final show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was a big one. But um, yeah, I think that was that was my first time uh, seeing you. Oh, 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 seeing you and meeting you, I believe was the yeah. And I, actually, I believe the Scandal played that one at the Tote as well. Oh no, shit! Yeah, wow, an extortion and I exist played that one too. Yep. Holy shit! Yeah. And I remember, you, yeah, I remember you getting off the train, mm. and and it was like just a bunch of people that were obviously all going. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just started talking to you. Yeah, and that's all it took. I think maybe Jamie was with us as well. I'd say so. Yeah, he probably would have been a, a, a common interest that we shared. <laughs> I mean, any friend of Jamie Hayes is a friend of mine, obviously. Oh, I love Jamie. How could you not? He's one of the most beautiful, beautiful specimens out there. Ah, oh, but yeah, at that point you were still living in Hobart. You just put out the second record. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm. Um, so Resonation came out in I think two thousand and twelve. Twelve, yeah. Twelve or thirteen. It was twelve. It's twelve. Yeah. Um, and I didn't move over here until the start of fourteen, I think. Yeah, that's right. So there's a bit of time in mm. between. What year is it? 
it's this year. 2018, <laughs> isn't it? No, it's 2017, mate. You, you, you're getting ahead of yourself. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, a couple of years ago, yeah. and this was probably the year after, I, or the year I moved to Melbourne, right. I, I went back to Tassie for a weekend and caught up with my old schoolmates. And we were sitting around, just drinking. And one of them goes, I can't believe I turned 36 this year. And I, I'd, I said, you're not that old. And he said, yeah, I'm older than you guys remember. Yeah, but like you're not, you're not a year and a half older, Dennis. And the three of them had just, just rounded on me and stared at me at the same time and went, Link, how old do you think you are? I said, 35? And they just shook their heads and went, nah, mate, you're 36. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just lost a year. I don't think it was denial. I think, Where'd it go? I don't know. <laughs> just lost in a... In a a mist of evaporated poor decisions. Oh, mercy me. God damn. But, uh, yeah, we, we pretty much got talking from there, and then uh, the, the Glory Days tour happened after that, and, uh, yeah, started seeing you around a whole fuckload after that. You've been to a few shows now, haven't you? Uh, your shows? Yeah. yeah quite. I mean, you've been to a few shows in general. <laughs> this isn't my first radio. <laughs> uh, do, you have yeah. any, do you have an exact count for the number of gigs that you've been to? Ever? Ever? Uh, no, I don't. I just have the list of acts that I've seen. Do you got a ballpark? Let me see. Probably, it'd be somewhere in the vicinity of maybe 1750 to 2000, if, a- if I'm averaging a couple hundred a year. That's amazing. And I've been doing that since I finished high school, so like 2008 or so. But yeah, in the last few years in particular, I've been averaging about, yeah, 250, between 250 and 300 shows a year. Do you remember the first gig that you ever went to where you said to yourself, this is what I want to, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to watch, this is what I love? Oh, well, that would have been the first, that would have been the very first show that I saw. I saw, uh, do you know The Cruel Sea? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad snuck me into an RSL to see them in March of 2002. I was 11 years old. Amazing. Right? And yeah, like... I was just mesmerised and yeah, like Tex Perkins has been one of my favourite people to watch live for years and like I'll always have that as one of the reasons why, you know, because that was my first exposure to seeing a live band. I was like, fuck, this is it, you know? He is an amazing presence on stage. He just has so much swagger. Yeah. Old school rock and roll, just dripping with charisma. It's pretty amazing. Did you ever see the uh, Tex and Tim? shows no i didn't probably see i i was grew up being a massive umi fan yeah of course same yeah and i so i went to this texan tim show you know primarily to see tim Mm. and i i was amazed that like not that it's a competition but but tex perkins just absolutely owned that stage like that was his stage and it didn't matter what tim did to it to to an extent (laughs) like you could just see the, the the first three rows of the audience just swoon whenever he said anything. Mm. It's crazy. He still has that kind of power, man. He's in his, at least like 53, 54, and he's still got that power, man. Still a dark horse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> All right, so I begin these by talking about the initial interest in music and where it stemmed from being something that you were kind of interested in watching listening whatever to being something that you actually wanted to do you want to be a musician so uh yeah tell us a little bit about how music kind of factored into your growing up into your childhood always listen to it dad yeah. was a dad played in a band when he was when he was younger and right. so he always Is he a guitarist he was a guitarist yeah he taught me how to play when i was maybe 13 
awesome. Saw 13, and we used to play The Shadows. That oh, was, amazing. That was his favourite band. He's, he, he played in a band in the 60s that essentially played Shadow songs. That's so good. Um, so I learned playing, you know, Walk, Don't Run, and um, singing from The Deer Hunter and all this kind of stuff. Fuck yeah. And his music taste was really melodic. Yeah. Like, he liked uh, Buddy Holly and The Beatles and Roy Orbison. Yeah. And, and The Shadows and Cliff Richard and, mm. and stuff that was really uh, grounded in melody. Mm. Um, and not so much things like the Rolling Stones or or, um, or the Doors or anything else that was a bit more a bit more edgy but rhythmic and so I think that gave me a sense of melody more than anything else mm. I read this really interesting article um, uh, a couple of years ago and it was talking about kids who grow up listening to the Wiggles versus kids who grow up listening to Yo Gabba Gabba <laughs> and the, 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 the idea is that like there is this there is this difference between kids whose parents only listen to the Beatles and kids whose parents only listen to the Rolling Stones in that, in that some of them have this appreciation of melody that's just that, that came from just being immersed in it since, since childhood and, and others have this appreciation of rhythm and blues and, and, and sort of the more artistic or art, arty kind of side of music yeah. um, that came from growing up with the Stones and this theory is that the same thing's happening with Wiggles kids and Yo Gabba Gabba kids mm. uh, which I find fascinating so if you're a young parent, then make them listen to both. That's my advice. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any children's music? Like, no. You would you would have no. been you would have been too old for Peter Coon or something like that. I remember Peter Coon, but uh, yeah, I was. That was when I was in high school, not not primary school. Yeah. I mean, there was kids' music around, but it was never of interest to you. No. And because we were listening to music anyway, that was yeah. You know, I'd, I'd much rather listen to the Big Bopper. Or, yeah. or um, or the Deltones, I think. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> than, than, uh, than kids' music mm. at the time. So you grew up in Hobart, or in Hobart? Yeah, yeah. just north of it. Actually, not far from where Mona is, mm. northern, northern suburbs. What was that like as kind of a musical environment? I can't imagine there would have been heaps of shows around. No, there wasn't. It's kind of interesting because I mean, the, the people that I went to high school with were into music that I wasn't into. Mm. They were into the Doors and Led Zeppelin and, and Hendrix and Pink Floyd. And I just wasn't really into that kind of stuff. I was I was listening to Bon Jovi and Warrant. Fuck and, yeah! I think. And so, like from from that other group of musicians, came a, a whole subculture that I wasn't involved in, and mm. almost wasn't welcome in. And and there was a little subculture and, and a community that's kind of was self sustaining for a while. And amazing bands came out of that community. Like the Nation Blue came out of that. Mm. Well, uh, actually, to a lesser extent, I don't think Tom would agree with, with, <laughs> with that because um, I don't think they were really included with that that subculture either. Um, but definitely, bands like um, Mouth formed, I think, that that community to a degree. And yeah, I remember Fifty Million Clowns and um, the Sea Scouts and the Stickmen all came from that. And I was just, you know, learning how to play Megadeth riffs. Yeah, you know. fucking yeah. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> you were so, always always a guitarist? Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, no, I learned the trumpet. I was a trumpet player for a no long time. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to uni and went, you know what? I don't even like this instrument. And everyone here at the conservatorium is a bit of a dick. <laughs> so I started, yeah. So, yeah, like, there was, it was actually a really good community to... to once I sort of became 
a bit older, once I turned 18 or 19, it was a really good community to play music in yeah. for other people. Mm. Not so much for, for me because I wanted to... The stuff that I wanted to do, there was no market for. Yeah. You were either a cover band or you were like an underground noise band. Yeah. And, and there was no room in the middle. Were you singing at that point as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was. Badly, still, but... <laughs> And that was about the time that I transitioned from a American accent to an Australian one. Right. Um, someone called me out on it. It was actually while I was still at the conservatorium, but before I'd quit. Um, and I had to do a performance, and I hadn't played the trumpet, so, so I'd just bring my guitar along and sing a song. And someone just said, why are you singing an American accent? And I got really defensive at the time, like, it's, not, it's just what you do. And went home and thought about it and went, yeah, okay, no, you're right. You're actually right. <laughs> so I just made an effort to not do that anymore. <laughs> and here you are. Here I am. <laughs> Still sounding like a bogan. <laughs> Mate, no one would have it any other way. You know that. It's idiosyncratic. It's it's part it's part of your DNA now. <laughs> it is. I can't even I can't even remember how to do American anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine some of your songs now with an American accent. It's fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> so when's the first time that you play live? Are you playing solo? Are you playing with a band? What's the um, sitch? First time I ever played live would have been in high school. Right in front of the school assembly and we played a song by a New Zealand band called Push Push Okay. the song was called Trippin and I got laughed at for the next year by everyone at the school because oh I, my god because I didn't I, was, I wasn't playing guitar I was just singing and I didn't know what to do so I was just jumping up and down on the spot I was like pogoing and I just got called Skippy for a whole year <laughs> Kids can be so cruel. Uh, yep. We were called No Respect. Fuck yeah, you were. <laughs> that was your first band? There is actually there is actually YouTube footage of, uh, of a gig we did not long after that, but I'm not telling anyone where it is. <laughs> Gonna have to do a real deep dive search on that one, I reckon. <laughs> I have shown some people, but they don't even believe that it's me. So <laughs> Oh my goodness. So No Respect was your first band? No Respect. Uh, and then they, um, they they dissolved the band and then started a new band with exactly the same members except without me. And they were called Socks and Jocks. <laughs> and then they realised that nobody could sing so they asked me to join again. <laughs> it's very high school. 110%. I just wasn't cool enough, I think. <laughs> Surprising nobody. <laughs> What, what, where did you go after that? What, like, uh, were you playing much at that point, or like, uh, were you, was it just kind of you just did like the, yeah, the school battle of the school bands battle and, bands and stuff? Yeah, I think I organised a gig at our local church or something once. Amazing. Cause, yeah, because I didn't know where else to do gigs. I remember, I, re- I remember really clearly at that stage thinking all I want to do is like to be able to play a gig somewhere and have people come and watch. Mm. So you know, set the bar low. <laughs> and achieve your goals. It's life advice right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tasmania has a different school system, right? Where high school finishes in year 10. Oh, okay. And then in year 11 and 12, you go to a different school hmm. called a college. So the same as Canberra, I think. Right. Um, so I, I went to, I deliberately went to a, a college in a different part of Hobart because I didn't want to be around those people anymore. Hmm. 
And when I went to that school, I met a whole bunch of new people and um, made a new band and new friends. The band that I started then was the one that actually started gigging in pubs. There was this guy called Warren Hankey that used to manage uh, a place called Round Midnight. And we were busking at Salamanca Market one day. I think mm. we were just like doing covers of Smashing Pumpkins and UMI songs. And he came down, this Warren guy, I'd never met him at this stage, this, this sort of lanky bald dude comes down yeah. really frantic and says, oh, what are you boys doing this afternoon? I'm like, uh, nothing, why? Oh, you got a gig. <laughs> so someone had pulled out for this sort of cafe bar afternoon slot. So he hired us to play for two hours or something. And that was my first first ever sort of paid paid kick. Wow. I just really clearly remember playing Run to Paradise and having some <laughs> guy up in the back of the audience just shaking his head like, the fuck are you doing, boys? <laughs> and he was right. Like, what, what were we doing? Come on, that's a classic. It is a classic. Yeah. I don't think enough time had elapsed to, uh, to make it part of the canon. <laughs> That's just like late eighties, early nineties. Uh, this was nineteen ninety six. Okay, right. End of ninety five, start of ninety six. Yeah. So when do you when do you start playing? Like, uh, does Ride the Tiger come first, or does solo stuff come first? No, I had, there was another band called Fell to Erin that I was in for like ten years. No and shit. Just, yeah. Have I never heard about this? I don't. I just don't. Know. Have, you, have you hidden it? Yeah, I don't advertise it because <laughs> we just weren't very good. <laughs> thought we were were and you singing we, yeah I was singing playing guitar yep um yeah it was a band called Fell to Air and we had like three four releases no shit yeah and actually that's what I mean that's where I learned to play on a stage really mm. and because at that time like that was the part of my career when I was or career <laughs> um that was the part of my life when I was trying to forge a space in Hobart for bands that weren't cover bands but not yeah. underground stuff so we mm. were just playing indie rock and because we were one of the only indie rock bands that, around that wasn't kind of deafeningly noisy we just got all the supports we played so many supports for who'd you play with fuck um Greenspoon no shit The Cruel Sea what UMI dude um, I think we played with Regurgitate. We played with 28 Days fuck twice. Fuck you! First time we played... How the fuck have you kept this from me the entire time we've known each other? <laughs> first time we played with 28 Days, it was just the after... The first time? Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it was just after um, Rip It Up came out. I think that was the first single from that record. Yeah. And they played at the Hobart Uni Bar to about 30 people. Like, nobody gave a shit. Mm. And then, I think two months later, the rest of the album came out, and they came back, and they played to about 800 crazy holy shit um, but Triple J has a lot more power in Hobart than it does in Melbourne or Sydney right um, because I mean we do have a, a community radio station now but mm. we, we didn't really back then not one yeah. that anyone listened to and so you, your only options were listening to the um, whatever Oz, Oz Stereo network station was or Triple J yeah and that was it so if, if somebody was getting high rotation on Triple J, everyone was into it. Yeah. You know, and it still kind of works like that down there. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that was that was the difference. It was just a couple of months extra rotation on, on that radio station. They went from 30 people to 800. Fucking hell. That's huge. And you were there for both of them. Yeah. We were playing with Ben Queller. That was my favourite. 
Holy shit. Nevin Dando when he came down so What? When was this? Uh, I forget when that one was. Early 2000s, maybe? Mid-2000s? Yeah, right. Yeah. God damn, you, you led a hell of a life before I fucking met you. <laughs> we played with Eskimo Joe uh, a couple of times. Played with something for Kate like three or four times. Dude! You and I. Dude, you have, I'm so fucking jealous. Holy <laughs> shit. This is massive. How did I not know about any of this? I don't know. But it wasn't because we were necessarily that good. It's because yeah, we, we weren't terrible. <laughs> it was opportune, yeah. <laughs> um, Still, man, you, I, you, you can say you've done that. No one can take that away from you. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but the thing was, like, the the way the promoters ran it down there, I don't know if it's the same in other places, but mm. there's a the delineation between the headliner and the support band is, is you know, you, you weren't even allowed backstage... You know, you're allowed side stage that you can get on, play, and then get off. But you weren't allowed backstage. You absolutely weren't allowed into anyone's anyone else's screen room. Mm. weren't allowed to touch anyone, anyone else's rider or food. So it's not like we actually got to meet anyone cool. Yeah. Um, you know, the coolest person I ever met as a support was um, one of the guys in a band called Pre-Shrunk. I remember... Pre- Dude, Pre-Shrunk are the first band I ever saw live because they opened for the Cruel Sea. Re- we supported that tour. Fuck off! Yeah. 2002? Yep. Holy it must have shit! Been. Yeah! Oh my god! That's when I met them. There that's you go. insanity! I love those guys. They were real sweet. God, your, your career was taking off. My my musical interest was just starting to blossom. God, <laughs> that's a crossroads right there. Look at that! Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Serendipity, my dude. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Oh man! So I left. I, I sort of um, left that band because I was just getting burnt out and stressed out by music at that stage, and I just stopped playing for about a year, and then slowly started playing solo again. Mm. Did you ever kind of have it in the back of your head that you'd never come back, or? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember. I mean, it's a big thing to just pack up and be like, "That's it, I'm done." I don't think I ever said I'm, I'm not going to play music anymore but it mm. was definitely I don't want to be in this industry anymore Yeah, I don't want to try and make this a thing I'm just I'm done but I did start playing songs and just doing it for myself yeah. and then playing like a, that's about when I got a, the insiders together and the best thing about it was that like no one gave a fuck we, we, were, we had no designs about getting played on the radio or having people buy records or it's just fun again yeah and actually it's the irony is that as soon as we started doing that that's when it started going well (laughs) so what happened to yeah so with the other band like uh, was there like kind of like label interest or anything like was it were were they trying to like push you guys or anything like that or not really like remember once there was a new record label starting up it was called Eleven oh yeah yeah and they showed some interest and they were going to fly down to see some music but they just I think he just realised that we were really green I can't remember what his name was he used to be UMI's tour manager and I think the Vines were on that label yeah 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 that sounds no, really fam- that sounds really familiar it was a weird combination it was like the Vines and the other big thing they were pushing was soap might have even been Delta Goodrum or something no shit it was a, it was a soap star check this because yeah, this sounds very very familiar but, uh, I mean, that interest never came to anything. And that was 
kind of hit. Yeah. We managed to c- convince uh, MGM to distro us at one stage, and then that's when we broke up, or at least <laughs> at least stopped playing. We ne- we technically never broke up. We still exist. Yeah. But we just haven't played in <laughs> ten years, I think. Long, long time. Yeah. Here we are, eleven, a music company. There we go. Pages loading. Who the founder was? Was it Mark somebody? John Watson's the president. Melissa Chenry is the general manager. Maybe it was John Watson. Maybe. I met. So he signed Silverchair. Yeah. Yeah. Was he the front of house operated for a long time as well? I think so. So who's on there? Birds of Tokyo, Cold Chisel, Daniel Johns, Dustin Tebbett, Gautier, Midnight Oil, Missy Higgins, Paul Mack, The Presets, and Silverchair. There you go. That's a pretty solid roster. It is a good roster. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that never happened. Because yeah. that's not... That's not the part of the industry that I ever would have wanted to be involved in. Yeah. So, yeah, It worked out. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you played solo? It was while that band was still playing. Actually, no, it was even before that. Yeah, right. Um, because the kind of... The busking thing just sort of continue like we do that occasionally and then I started doing it by myself yeah and then started doing just little solo solo gigs here and there there's a place called the Blue Note Tavern okay in Hobart just do three hour sets it's a big ask yep Springsteen can do that but (laughs) fucking it was the kind of place that no one gave a shit it was just a few people drinking cocktails that was it (laughs) it's a weird place so that was like it was always something I did. Mm. Like were you always kind of playing solo, and then the backing band kind of factored into it. Like yeah, uh, yes, yeah. that's right. So I went fell to Aaron was still playing. I was still doing solo gigs. Yeah, and I started doing them more and more when the band stopped playing. Right. When I started playing again, it was just solo, and then I started thinking, eh, this could be cool with a band. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the difficult things I was finding at that time was that. Like, if I was playing Fell to Aaron gigs... Yeah. ...and then doing solo gigs under my own name, there was no... There was no connection between those two things. Right. Like, like people didn't know who my name was as a band, or they didn't know who my name was as a soloist, so... Yeah. I think when I decided to get a band together, it just made... It made sense that I could play either and just be doing the same songs. And the bass player's been with me since the start. Richard... Yeah, Richard yeah. has been with me since that first couple yeah. of Insiders gigs. Yeah. Did Lombie come in when you moved to Melbourne? Or? Yeah, Lombie was the last piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So we, we, we started as a five-piece. Right. So we had a... Keyboards? Or? Yeah, we had a keys player and another guitarist. Right. And then, like, slowly the other guitarists left, so we were just a four-piece, and then um, the drummer left, we replaced him, and then that drummer left, and then the keyboard player left, and there's a play! Anyway, that's not an interesting story. But it got to the point where we're just a three-piece and everyone except me lived in Melbourne. And that's about when Barney joined. Right. And so once I moved over here, Lombie had already played on the record, on the on Resonation. Yeah. On, you know, did a couple of songs on Pedal Steel. And he played a couple of gigs with us. And so he was keen just to, to join. Mm. And I was keen because it's Lombie. And oh, yeah. He's a fucking <laughs> mastermind. What an amazing dude. What an absolute fucking champion of the universe. Not a bad word to say about that, man. No. All love, all love. But um, yeah. So first record was so first solo record was two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Thirty watt heart. Yeah, I thought it was forty. 
<laughs> I had my wattage off. <laughs> there was a band in Hobart called 40 Watt Stars. Is that right? Yeah. There you go. That were great. <laughs> but no, this was named after the, you know, the, the Vox. Oh, right. There we go. Very clever. <laughs> any any time you've, like, I've seen you and you've played songs off that record, you've always had to, like, fucking, like, do, like, a prefix. It was just like, uh, yeah, this is, a, like, a really dumb song or, like, yeah, like, I... I I regret writing this or whatever. Like, is it is a weird thing to look back at that record now? Like, you are a completely different person now, obviously. It is. Um, I mean, I still really like the songs. Mm. Um, in fact, I mean, Cute Girls Are Stupid is probably one of my favourite songs on that record. Um, <laughs> and look, I don't think the sentiment is off, but I think the translation doesn't work and I, right, and I, yeah. I wasn't thinking about that at the time I just yeah. see I had this um, I had this idea at the time where I was not very confident on stage wasn't yeah. very confident as myself in myself as a writer yeah so I kind of wanted to make invent this persona that was like all the worst parts of me amplified fuck I guess yeah because I don't have that rock star swag and the textbooks and stuff but I mean if I take the part of me that's arrogant and the part of me that's an arsehole and just exaggerate them on the stage and act as that character then maybe I can have that (laughs) that that, that kind of swagger and I think a part of that was just me accepting that those are parts of my personality Mm. and hopefully not big parts Mm. but I was sort of struggling to accept that I do shit things sometimes and I've hurt a lot of people so I think my way of dealing with that was to was to live them and, yeah. uh, and own them I guess so that became this persona and that's why songs like September and Cute Girls Are Stupid sort of came out and they you know, like in hindsight they they come across as being misogynist and, and maybe that's a recognition of the fact that that is a part of my character that I that I have to accept in order to change it yeah I think or I had to yeah but the whole purpose of that I mean the whole point of that song is that it's about me admitting that I'm attracted to people that I don't like yeah. like and, and and the fact that I am completely um, open to what am I trying to say like I'm not immune from from the way media is shaped my taste and my interest in, yeah. in, in the opposite sex. Yeah. And so we try to act like we, it, it doesn't happen, but then yeah, and it does. Yeah. Oh, it definitely does. And and at that stage, I I really felt like the the kind of people that I was that I was attracted to were not people that I was intellectually attracted to at all. Mm. Like I, I wasn't reconciling those things. Yeah. So that's I mean that's what the song's about, but it just doesn't come across like that at all. No. Yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. Every time it's just like no, no. Trust me, I'm I'm on your side on this one. I've just it was just it's a very different time. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but I still really like the song musically. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I just don't feel comfortable playing it very often. Yeah, feck all. <laughs> Without the full ten-page disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's I guess that's the the evolution that we all go through as creative yeah. people. Big time, big time, man. Yeah. So yeah, there's four years that separate that record and, and the next record. Uh, where where do you go through there? Like, uh, are you touring? Are you getting up to the mainland much? Or are you most 
primarily just playing in and around Tasmania. That was when I'd started... Like, I'd always found it hard touring. I always found it really difficult. Yeah. Because yeah. when we were playing in indie rock bands, um, like, we, we, like I said, we'd support so many bands that came down from Melbourne. And, like, on top of all those names that I was telling you, there was all the, the other ones that, that weren't very big, but it's not like any of them ever would ever say yeah come to Melbourne we'll help you out like that yeah. just did not exist in that indie rock community in yeah. fact it was kind of the opposite yeah it's like you know <laughs> can you let, never come near me again let us use all your shit yeah but we're not going to pay you any money and don't drink our rider and fuck you um, so I, touring was always really difficult because no one helps each other out yeah in that, in that community so it wasn't until I um it wasn't until I met Jamie and started playing in Ride the Tiger that I remember doing a Ride the Tiger tour. Uh, yeah. And we played with Paper Arms in Adelaide, I think. And, oh, wow. And Grim, yeah. and Grim Fandango. And I remember they picked us up R. from R. the airport and they put us up at their house and they gave us a, some beers. And I'm like, what? What is this? What's, <laughs> what, why are you helping us? Why are yeah. you being so nice? <laughs> this is great. And then, obviously, you found that everywhere we went. You know, we went to Brisbane and played a show with um, Headaches and Fires of Waco. Mm. And everywhere we went, people just looked after us and helped us out. And then I, I played a solo show in Hobart with Jamie and Josh Mann. And then Jamie said, you should come to Melbourne and I'll help you do a show. Um, so he put on a show in the park. Uh, I think there might have been a pub gig as well, but the main one was a, a, a show at the park. And Was that um, a Tyus One Steel? No, it wasn't a Tyus One Steel. I mean, it was still around the summer, I think, or the spring, but I think at that stage, Tyus Ones was only a Christmas thing. Mm. But it was Jamie, and I think Gibbo might have played. And this young kid that had started playing some shows called Will Wagner. Oh, yeah. And this guy from... Sydney that had come down called Zounds. Ah. Maybe I'm combining two memories here, but I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. And so that's when I started touring and actually right. realising that I could tour. Yeah. Because people were nice to each other and yeah. helped each other. You kind other of out. just accidentally fallen into this kind of new community. Yeah. I did. That was that must have been kind of surreal. It was amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was you know, for the first time music felt communal and not competitive and something that everyone could join together like yeah. there, there was you know we we're all on the same team we we're all a part of <laughs> part of something yeah um, hence the song that's what came from yeah yeah right so yeah after Resonation comes out like a lot of people that had you know like myself included that had never really heard you before you know discovered you and, and started coming to more shows like uh, I can imagine it, it must be like a really weird feeling to, to look look back at that stuff now and realize you know that so many so many people like not just here in Sydney but you know in Melbourne Brisbane Adelaide wherever else you know had come to this record and, and spent so so much time with that record and like still know every word to every song and will still come out and sing it every time you play you know that was a big record for a lot of people you know it was like that and like don't change your plans and like king of the sun and stuff like that all came out within like a year of one another and those were huge records you know the... yeah. i still i still love king of the sun too how could you not it's a fucking beautiful record yeah well, I'm, really, I'm really proud of that record i don't know how i wrote those songs 
Right. And I don't know if I can ever write those songs again. I guess it was just the right time in my life. Everything clicked and, and that happened. It, look, it was a struggle. The last... I mean, I, I've, I've struggled writing. I've had, uh, uh, like, depression-based writer's block for ten years now. Um, no shit. Yeah. Um, that's why it takes four years to write a record. Yeah, right. Um, so even before Resonation, I was struggling. Like, we... Um, we had maybe eight eight songs yeah and I knew that I wanted to make the record but I just I didn't have that last couple of songs in place to make it click yeah and then I think within the space of a couple of weeks I wrote Get Drunk Sea Bands The Mainland and Dilettantes wow and it, when those pieces of the puzzle fell into place then we had a record but, fucking hell but up until that point and we hadn't decided to do Kinetic that was the last minute thing as well um, so up until that point it, yeah it was looking like there wasn't going to be a record wow that's so crazy I had no idea and the same thing happens with this one sure um, right it took a long time for those last couple of pieces of the puzzle to yeah to fall yeah 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 I mean so yeah the that kind of cycle finishes up you do the split with Jen and then the year after that you move to Melbourne uh-huh. and I can imagine having spent like literally your pretty much your entire life up to that point in one certain place like what what was that thought process of, of getting out like was it something that was on the back of your mind like for a while yeah like I mean, it's the natural progression for most musicians from Hobart to move to Melbourne. Yeah, and I'd resi- same with Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I'd resisted that for a long time. I didn't want to be... I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but it got to a point where it wasn't about music anymore. Um, I knew that if I was moving, it wasn't for my for music. It was just because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I just didn't want to wake up one morning as a 60 year old having lived in one place yeah yeah and that was the I mean that was the driving factor in the end of course so I sold my house on Gumtree and I remember that <laughs> still I'm still proud of that <laughs> and um yeah look, every, look it was just a, a really nice time like the, the the resonation was still on a bit of a high um we were on a bit of a high and pulling crowds and just everything clicked at the same time mm. so it was the right time to move for a lot of reasons and then it crashed again but it, you know that happens yeah I mean like do you feel like that you're in a like not 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 just literally but like do you do you feel like you're in a better place now that you've you've had a bit of time to you know settle in and, and kind of make Melbourne a proper home I don't know if it's for those reasons but yeah I am yes in a better place yeah it was just a rocky couple of years all, all around yeah right and I was you know I because I was struggling to to write it meant that I was just playing the same songs yeah uh, you know uh, and I I don't know if it was just me imagining it but I felt like the audience was tired of the same songs tired <laughs> of the same show right and so I kind of got I kind of got down about playing and I didn't want to play anymore yeah and just didn't make me feel good anymore so I kind of struggled but now I feel better 
I mean, what changed? At, at what point did you kind of start getting things together and eventually, you know, kind of focus in on, on what the next step was going to be, like, musically? I think it's just when I started writing some, some new songs that I could play solo. Yeah. Because um, we were writing songs, but they just don't translate to a solo show. And yeah. so I kind of, I'd feel a bit better, but then I'd play a show and go, it's, it's still the same songs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the more I write, the more I feel good about playing. You know how people say that writers have to write? Yeah. I never understood it, because it's not like I have this, 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 this burning thing that I have to get out of me. Mm. And I, I, I even got down about that. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not a writer. Maybe that's not what, what, what I am. But then I realised that it's not about, for me, it's not about getting it out. It's about having something to share. Yeah. And as soon as I had something new that I could share with people, I feel good again. And so it's not that I have to get something out. It's that if I don't, I go crazy. It's weird. With a with a new record kind of looming, like, a, how, how are you feeling now, like, going into that next cycle? I don't know. I don't even know if I like the songs. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's a few on there that I do. And I don't know if it's the performance that I don't like or the fact that I know what I, str- what I struggled with to get them to get them out of me. Yeah. Um, Is that something you had with the previous records as well? I don't think so. I don't think I had that at all. Yeah. So, I don't know. And It's just difficult I, to have no when it's going to hit, right? I kind of don't want to say that. Like, I don't want to advertise that fact because I don't want it to cloud people's judgments of the record. Yeah. I don't want I don't want people to think that I'm down on it. I mean, I'm not down on it. I think it's great. But it's just something about that process. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This this took you know five years between records. You know, it was a to to big big thing. Like you know, there's a lot writing on that, and like obviously so much has happened and so much has changed in those years. But uh, you've accumulated more people that uh, are, you know listen to and support what you do more than you know when the first record came out and when the second record came out you know that's kind of built up pretty solidly I feel like that's just more people to disappoint (laughs) I mean this album's nothing like the last one and that was a conscious decision because I I mean like I said I couldn't make that last record again if I wanted to yeah of course Um, but also I missed playing rock and roll so you know I wanted to make something heavier Um, so I don't know there's one song in there that, that I wrote not long after Resonation that's I'd been listening to Converge and, and Make Do and Mend, I think, and I just I was mucking around with tunings and and it's it's just like a dark it's the darkest song on the record. Yeah, right. And and we knew that it was well, I I felt like it was a really good song and that I had to write a record that that worked in the context of because it wouldn't have worked on Resonation. It's too dark and too heavy. So yeah, it was and maybe that's why I struggled. Maybe that was part of the struggle was that that I'd sort of painted myself into this corner of trying to make a rock record yeah um, instead of just doing what I do yeah there you go anyway <laughs> no no I, I I completely know where you're coming from like I, it took four years between my first record and second record as well and like even now like after that record's you know been out a year and like you know I closed it up and I did everything I could and I was just like yeah that's it the rest is up to everyone else I'll, I'll still occasionally like like happen across a file or something like that and I'll hear the song and just be like 
oh, maybe I could have done that better, or maybe I could have redone that, or maybe that could have done... But then, you know, you just get to that point where you've just got to let it go, you, do. you know? Yeah. Like, you're just like, I've done I've done everything that I can, you know? I, I did the best that I could at that point, you know? Like, you could go through and just continually re-edit everything, but then you'd be fucking George Lucas. Well, that's something I learned on the very first record that I that I worked on myself is that yeah. you can't, it's so hard to step away and just go it's done it's finished I'm not touching it anymore yeah. and I just I just re-record guitars and re-record parts and go over it and over it and it's okay to be wrong it's okay to have fuck ups and be out of time and out of tune if it's if it works yeah Absolutely. It's just hard to listen to it as the singer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me. And you get so sick of your own voice, don't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, fucking hell. Oh. But, yeah, honestly, man, like, it, 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 it's it's something that, yeah, I think I think a lot of people go through, and I think a lot of people will relate when, when you say stuff like that. Like, you know, there's always just a, a generic PR cycle, you know, the fucking usual Dave Grohl bullshit of him just fucking gnawing and stuff. Yeah, honestly, man, this is the best record I've ever worked on. And but sometimes you're just like, yeah, like I'm, I'm happy with it, but you know, like I, I, I have my doubts, and you know, like I have uncertainties, and that's 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 something a lot of people like maybe don't feel comfortable saying because you know they've they've put a lot into to making it happen, but you know that that's part of the human process, part of the creative process. You know what I am really happy with? Go on. The origami on the front cover. Did you make that? No, 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 no. Lucy Wilson actually gave me the idea. Is that right? Yeah, and she... Hopeful future guest of the show. We've been trying to make that happen a long time. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> she gave me the contact of a, an origami guy called Stephen Casey who just actually f- basically free-handed this Pegasus and said, something like this? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Like, uh, yes! And then Liam White did the photography of it, and I, I, I love it. I think it looks fucking amazing. Yeah, it does look awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I have heard the record, and I I love it. But you know, I, I feel dumb. But like, obviously, I was going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I don't I don't think you would. I, I mean, no, I'm not. I don't think you're the kind of person that would just like something because you think you have to. I think yeah, you, absolutely like, not. But you're you're someone that you know has been uh, like musically a big part of my life for the last five years, and it's like. To, to hear everything that you know I you know stuff that I've been there for stuff that I obviously haven't seen haven't been there for like have everything kind of laid out on the line on this record is uh, like it's a really really wonderful thing for me and like I, I love this record thanks man you're welcome like I can't wait for people to hear it and uh, you know I think you're going to get a lot of discourse and a lot of discussion about this record because you know you touch on you know, a lot of stuff that's kind of, you know, to the bone, to really, really honest. And I think people will connect with that the same way that they connected with the resonation, probably in a different way. But, you know, you'll still... I I think that's one of the core things about what you do is that there's just such a human element to it. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, am I talking shit? No, no. uh, Yeah, no, that's nice. That's a nice thing to hear. (laughs) You're absolutely welcome, man. I've, you, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say otherwise. I absolutely mean it. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll wrap it up here, but before we do that, I ask this of all of my guests. Uh-huh. Now it's your turn. I want to know about the best and worst shows that you've ever played. Best show was the Annandale Hotel with William Elliot Whitmore. I was there. You I'm, were there. I was. 
Um, That's a good. That was a great show. I don't know why. I just felt like I had the whole room in my pocket, and I don't know why. It just, it just worked. That was special. Yeah, there was a bunch of people that rocked up just to see you guys, and yeah, like Nick and Pinch had a played as well. That was awesome. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's up there with the best one. Yeah, um, that was great. I mean, worst. I mean, there's so many bad shows. Obviously, you know, always. The ones where there's only four people there, and you know they don't give a shit, <laughs> and you're just questioning, what am I? Why do I say yes to things? What am I doing? <laughs> or actually, probably, the, probably the worst one was um, about two years ago, and it was in that lull when when music wasn't making me happy. Right. Because. I mean, when you play music, you're in the moment, and yeah. everything else goes away. But it didn't. And I was at the old bar, and I don't remember who I was playing with. Might have been with the Sugar Canes. Yeah, right. But I got halfway through the set and just unplugged my guitar and went home. I just couldn't do it. That's the oh. only only time that's ever happened, and that's probably the low the low point. Fuck I man. Four songs. Shit. That's all it took. God damn. Like, do you remember... Do you remember the context? Or, like, had something happened that day or something? Or No, I was just in a particularly low point. Mm. And nothing was... Nothing was digging me out of it. Yeah. And on top of those things that I was telling you about, you know... F- feeling like I wasn't offering anything new as a songwriter. Yeah. And, and just the anxiety about playing shows in front of people. It's yeah. All accumulated. More. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going into this, like I, I, I can assume you know, like uh, there's, you know, you got you got these new songs, and you, you obviously got people to play them with, and and you know, people that've been wanting to hear these songs properly for for a while. So I'm really enjoying playing again, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the most important thing, man. So, yeah, this new album, it's called Come Undone. It comes out July 21st. Uh, It will either be out now or it will be coming out by the time that you hear this. So, if it's out, go listen to it. If it's not, just wait a little while. It'll be be there. Just be patient. Just please be patient. Um, Yeah, you can find Link on Twitter. You're not on Instagram, are you? Yeah. Yeah, you are, too. Oh, forgot about that. Linkstagram. Linkstagram, that's it. Fucking... Very imaginative. (laughs) (laughs) All the usual spots, and uh, you'll be playing more shows later this year? Yes, we're just trying to book the tour, album launch tour at the moment. Fantastic. Sure, it should be in August. Uh, well, until then, my friend, it's been an absolute honour. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it, man. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are coming.